Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Breck and Bronson Bundy of Mule Deer Addiction Outfitters out of St. George, Utah, but really the Arizona Strip. These guys live uh, right there, I believe, in Washington. Is that correct? That is correct, Jay. Washington, Utah, which is about oh, 30 or 40 miles north of the Arizona Strip there. And it's probably the closest town. And I've had the fortune of being able to be in Breck and Bronson's camp over the last a uh, handful of years, we've had some mutual friends that have drawn tags and uh, Daniel Franco and Danny Bright. And uh, I wasn't able to go when Randy and Ron Charrington drew tags, but uh, uh, you guys have done a great job for a bunch of guys that I know. And, and I've been uh, very blessed to, I believe, three years be uh be in your camp and and uh, get to see you guys in action and and uh, Breck I got to see that giant buck that you killed two years ago and uh, see all the excitement that was around that and um, I got to Bronson you guided uh, my friend Danny Bright last year um, in 13b and so I got to spend probably more time with you than I had in years past and um, it's going to be fun here on the podcast. Uh, first of all, guys, how you doing? doing? Doing really good, Jay. Good. How are you, Jay? Good. I'm sure you guys are kind of stoked about the uh, latest weather pattern that we've had. I'm here in Colorado and woke up to a couple inches of snow on the ground yesterday morning. And they said here in the high country, some places got you know 12 to 18 inches of snow, which um, how did that... Uh, how did what happened there on the Arizona Strip over the last few days? Did it get any of this? It, yeah, it did. It did, and like you said, Jay. I mean, the moisture's just been, you know, really off the charts, and I think all across the West. But I mean, the Strip is looking really, really good. We had a storm. We had a little bit of a dry spell here. What's that been, Bronx? A month or so ago. Um, but then we got a really good storm last week, and actually got some moisture out of this. Uh, latest storm that came through yesterday so how important do you think getting moisture right now is compared because i mean typically uh may is a pretty dry month how important is it to get even if it's a little bit of moisture how, how important do you think that is it's it's really important uh you know may and june like you said they're typically our two driest months out of the year um until the monsoons kick in around the fourth of july but I think this late uh, spring or early summer moisture plays a huge factor. I mean, it just, you know, with all the moisture we had through the winter, that was great. But when we can get a storm or two in May and and these cooler temperatures that we've had, um, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a a great year. Definitely a crucial, crucial time. Don't you you guys think like, you know, this, this moisture that we get, that we that we've gotten, you know, even if it's not huge moisture, it's at a time when it's usually dry, and you know you're still getting warmer days, cooler nights. But that also that moisture also allows that grass and that feed to just get fresh and 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 you know get a jump start on maybe where it wouldn't really start until you know say first of July or so once those monsoons come. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And that's just it. You know, where, you know, typically we'd be, you know, we're below average temperatures right now. And, you know, typically 
we'd have, you know, some of the feed already drying up. Um, and so with these cooler temperatures, and, and like you said, even just with a little bit of moisture, it just keeps that, the feed, the vegetation um, um, going great. I mean, and, and right now it looks, it looks awesome. I was going to ask, what have you seen, um, let's say, since coming out of winter, I know you both have been out there pounding around. Um, you know, I'm sure the nights are still cold. So you're, you know, it. I'm sure we got to green up, but the nights are still pretty cold. What are you seeing as far as vegetation? I mean, is it green across the board or what are we looking at? Yeah, it's, it's definitely starting to green up out there <clears throat> just over the last, you know, 30, 40 days. I'd be, I've spent probably 20, 25 days out there and it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely starting to green up, and it's looking really good. And the, the cliff rose is starting to blossom, and it's, yeah, it's, it is. It's looking really good. So you guys, um, we'll talk about trail cameras probably a little bit later, but speaking about trail cameras, how important is it for you to be running trail cameras this early? Do you already have cameras out, or when do you typically set? And tell me a little bit about how that's going, or if you're ramping up, kind of what your strategy is. Well, we typically, Jay, we don't have any cameras out right now. Um, we typically start uh, just depending. Last year, I started really early on some on some spots that uh, you know take a little bit a little bit of doing, hike in water, stuff like that. But I actually started um, the first week in June last year, but Typically, we're kind of middle of June. Um, first part of July is when we really, um, you know, me and Bronson and, and all of our guides um, start, you know, getting out and getting everything everything set. And so, um, and obviously trail cameras, you know, they allow us or give us the ability to scout, you know, all of 13B, 13A. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that it's a love-hate relationship, I'm sure, but it, it's it's a great tool um, that you can monitor what's going on. And I know there's been a lot of hubbub and talk about, you know, trail cams and, and what have you. Is the reason that you normally don't start till, say, first or second week in June just because the antlers haven't developed enough that, that it, it, you know, it's it's just too early to put them out right now? Um, or is it more, you know, what is the driving force or is it a time issue with you with work or what is it that makes you usually pick, say, the, you know, second week in June? Well, typically it's just the horn growth. Um, you know, early on and mid-June, you know, you can, you can, that's about the time when you can really start to tell, you know, if something's going to be giant or if something's going to be really good, you know, um, any earlier than that, you, you know, it may be tough to tell some of these bigger deer, you know, you, you may be able to tell, but, um, yeah, it just, it just gives us time to get ramped up and, and just makes sense as far as the horn growth goes for us. So sure. Bronson, um, one deer I want to ask you about in particular is a buck, um, that, uh, Brett, uh, was able to, Brett uh, Simonson, who works for you guys, uh, guided Niels Foley uh, to a buck uh, last year. And y I know both of you had some experience with this buck, but I know um, Bronson, you specifically told me about a story that I believe the last summer, or it might have been in the summer before, you were driving in your... Um, 
in your side by side, you know, driving like you stole it, like you always do, and literally standing in the middle of the road when you came around a corner, you had to lock them up and this big giant velvet buck, and you got some great photos um, with your with your good camera of that buck, and then Brett was able to um, get that buck on the ground, and that was one of your target bucks. So just wondering if you guys could speak a little bit specifically about that situation, you know, how many times you had seen them, and, you know, then, then leading up to the harvest and how exciting it was to see a buck, you know, what was it, like a 225 type of buck um, yeah. or so get harvested speak about that buck you know did you have a nickname for him well we just well i think we just called him the hook cheater buck um yeah we had quite a bit of history with him it, it, from the year before the year prior we actually hunted him on the archery hunt for i don't know several days yeah, probably you know six eight ten days um had a lot of close calls probably should have should have had him harvested if things would just land you know you know how hunting out there is it just would have a little bit of luck on our side we probably would have had him killed the year before and he he probably was about the same size, maybe a little bigger frame. Um, but, yeah, we videoed him a lot. I don't know how many times. I spent probably the most time on him. We kind of split up when we do that, you know, trying to get video and pictures of different deer. But I, I probably saw that deer 10 or 12 times, I'd say. Videoed him probably six or eight different times. Um, but, yeah, there's there's almost no other place that I know of anyways. You can be driving down the road at six o'clock in the morning and there's a 226 inch deer standing in the middle of the road looking at you so it was it was definitely a fun day for me yeah for sure and and travel patterns of that buck um you know in the 10 or 12 times that you saw him you know what would you say like a radius you know like from from say where you know you constantly saw him to maybe even where he was killed i mean was that a buck that really traveled or was that one of those kind of home range bucks that you know really stayed in kind of a tight circle yeah he definitely moved a little bit i mean he he was probably a six to eight mile swing and in movement and you know and i think that's where we have the advantage of living right here we get to spend a lot of time out there running trail cameras we also get a lot of time to go out glass follow these deer around where you know and that's a huge advantage for us where you know we did we get to spend the time and, and chase them around and you know other people probably had them on their cameras but i don't think that they you know i think they would have been hunting them you know we were, we were pretty much well we were the only ones hunting them so um anyways but yeah he definitely was a mover he moved a little ways and it you know it took us a couple of days to figure it out but we got it figured out stayed patient and you know brett he knows what he's doing and got it taken care of so it was it was awesome to be able to see a deer on the ground it's always awesome to see a deer a giant deer on the ground, but one that you've had a lot of history was just that much sweeter. You know, his frame um, there when Brett brought it in and it was in the back of the truck, just such a boxy frame. I, You know, I love those bucks that just have those nice, beautiful boxy frames. And that buck, you know, regardless of score, whether he scored 200 or whether he scored 260, I mean, the frame on that buck, I just love those square boxy bucks like that. Yeah, I know when you when you you said it right when we were out there. That that is just a classic Arizona strip buck right there. That that real pretty heavy boxy frame, uh, extras. You know, he pretty much had everything. You know, just just a classic Arizona strip buck right there. What what would you guys guess if you had to guess his age um, of that hook cheater buck? I mean, what would you guess that he he was? 
Oh, I, I would say he was uh, six to seven years old, or five to seven years old, somewhere in that range. And what do you what do you guys say? You know, if you had to throw a number on, you know, the the prime that those Arizona Strip bucks, you know, when will they? Generally across the board, I know there's some bucks that they turn three years old and they're a giant, but like, what would you say is the number that if the buck can get to X, he's gonna be a pretty good buck? I I would say you know eight years old they're probably right there at their their prime their peak um but then again like you said the arizona strip it's it's a place like no other jay with you know there's been bucks uh that were killed that were 290 inches that were uh three and a half two and a half three and a half year old deer which is just you know unbelievable yeah but uh but i would personally say anywhere from that you know seven to nine year old i mean we're out there on the strip that's kind of right at their prime. I mean, my buck was uh, eight, I believe. Parker's was nine. Um, Samantha Davis's, who I'm sure we'll talk about uh, from this last year, I believe he was seven um, is what the, the Game and Fish came back with, age on him. But You know, um, you bring up talking about your buck, and, you know, I think you just said, what did you say, he was eight years old, Parker's was nine. Um, yeah. You know, a buck like... Breck, what did he end up scoring? It was like 275 or 280 or maybe even gross 290. What did he score? He, yeah, he grossed 290, and he was he netted 274. 274 so I don't have the official score sheet right here, but 274, mid-270s anyway. You know, so we're when, gross guys. Yeah, I know. When, when a buck gets like that, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that. When a buck gets like that, I mean, I know – there's always two or three bucks on the Arizona Strip that are absolute legends and that, you know, every guide service up there and anybody that, you know, spends any time up there, word gets around and there's always two or three big bucks. I go back and I've had you guys on the podcast before, but I go back to, you know, Breck, what was it like to actually harvest and know that you just harvested a legend, uh, you know, just a dream buck, you know, it's so crazy of a place that, you know, you get 220, 230, 240 bucks, and then you go kill a 290 buck, and it's like, what was it like to just harvest a buck that is literally a, 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 you know, once in a lifetime type of buck, probably you'll never see a buck bigger, you know, I, I kind of know the answer because I got to see you in the situation, but I'm just trying to pull out the portion of how you felt in your heart about what just happened. You know, honestly, Jay, I I couldn't believe it, it happened, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, to, to draw the tag obviously was, was the biggest challenge for me. I mean, I think I had been applying for 20 years, uh, which was even before, you know, they came out with the bonus point system in, I don't even know when, 98 or 97, 96, whatever it was. But um, when I once I finally drew the tag, you know, I'm not one of those guys, and I tell a lot of guys I talk to on the phone, you know, that they get a strip tag and then they, they feel a ton of pressure and they want to kill the biggest deer, you know. I was, I'm kind of the opposite. I feel the pressure personally as a guide, but when I finally drew the tag, you know, I was just so happy with the, with the group of people we had, the friends, you know, my dad was right there with me. Um, 
but I had a lot of friends saying, oh, you're going to kill a giant, you're going to kill a giant. And I was like, you know what? You know, a, a 220 dare, that was my goal. And, and to kill the buck I did, I mean, I just, I couldn't believe it, Jay. I mean, we knew he was, uh, he was big, you know. We'd known about him for, uh, for a couple of years. But, but then when I finally walked up on him and, and to have my dad there with me, I was just, I mean, I was speechless. I was, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, just to touch on that, too. I mean, Jay, and, you know, he, the biggest thing that I see with him, and, he, and this is honestly, he was, he was realistic with his expectations out there. I mean, he, we know that these are only once-in-a-lifetime bags for these non-resident guys, but that's, what, that's where the pressure, I mean, he, he had a good time because of that. He was realistic. I mean, I know the dare that were on his hit list, and that was a huge benefit to him going out, out there. You know, you bring up a good but, point. Um, you bring up a huge point of being realistic, and I think it needs to be said, you know, I don't guide on the Arizona Strip, but I guide in, you know, Arizona and Mexico and other places, and I know that there's times when I have been unrealistic, and I know there's times when I've guided people that have come in with completely unrealistic expectations. And I think one of the things two years ago when Dar, my hunting partner, his son drew um uh, 13b and hunted hired you guys and hunted with you guys um i thought one of the great things about dar's outlook was he didn't come in being unrealistic he he knew that he was you know he kept saying i want parker to shoot a good deer but i want him to have fun i want it to be enjoyable i don't want to be chasing numbers you know when parker sees a buck that he wants and that he likes you know that, that, you know, he's going to shoot it. And um, I think a lot of people can, you know, finally put in for, you know, 20 years or whatever, and, and even like sheep, and they just expect that that means that they're entitled to shoot a 240 buck or a 220 buck or a 200 buck or a 290 buck, when reality is no. It just means you get to go to that unit and have a legal tag in your pocket. That's it. That place doesn't owe you anything. And I'm just curious your thoughts on, you know, realistic expectations versus unrealistic and then the expectation level of like the Arizona Strip owes me because I've put in for 20 years. It doesn't owe you anything other than you get to be up there and carry a rifle around or a bow for that matter and have the legal opportunity to fling something at an animal. That's it. You're not owed anything. Exactly, Jay. And that was, that was for me, like you say, for me, I mean, it was my like lifelong. I mean, I wanted to hunt the Arizona strip, you know, obviously I grew up out there as a young kid, me and Bronson and our family. And, um, you know, it was our home away from home. And for me to get a tag, just to have a strip tag in my pocket was, was incredible. I mean, it was just, it was just awesome, you know? And so, but, but, you know, as far as the realistic, you know, I guide a lot of guys that, you know, they'll, they have a number set in their mind or whatever. And, and I always tell them, Hey, we're going to chase the biggest bucks that we know about that we think we can kill. And, you know, let's have a good time doing it too. You know, I mean, our goal is always to kill the biggest deer, but let's have fun doing it too. You know, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Um, that it's not a fun, enjoyable time. That's always my kind of my attitude. But yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I think it's very hard when guys have waited as long as they have 
and and they they want something so bad that they can actually make it a miserable experience by putting so much pressure on themselves and everyone around them that it becomes a miserable experience and it's like i think i believe we've kind of overcooked all of this so to speak because the deer are so big because arizona has such big elk utah has such big elk you know like it and it makes it not fun anymore and i would encourage anybody out there listening that if they ever draw any tags that are very coveted tags to just enjoy it enjoy everything about it and go in with an attitude of i'm gonna have i'm gonna go the whole hunt and i'm gonna have the best time that i can have and i'm gonna enjoy every experience and i'm not gonna get so high strung and worked up that it becomes you know not fun because let's face it guys and you can speak to this i mean until i went up there i thought there was a big deer around every tree well, I found out after going, you know, three or four, however many seasons, you know, I've gone up there through, throughout the last handful of years with you guys. Like, you got to grind. And there's other people that love those animals just as much as you do and that are, you know, good hunters too. And they're making a plan and making a strategy. And sometimes things don't work out. And it's like, I see people get so worked up and... It, sometimes it just comes down to it's your day or it's not your day, but you have to just let it roll off your back, let the you know the flat tires and you know all the things that come along with the hunt. You got to just laugh about it. And I think it's taken me a while as a hunter myself and as a guide to realize that you've got to smell the roses and you've got to enjoy those times when it's tough and you got to you know take the good with the bad and i think some people i don't think they've reached that point i don't know if it's a level of maturity in, in their own hunting or or what any thoughts on that yeah i yeah i mean i agree with pretty much everything you said you know and i and just thinking about it while you're talking that you know you go back to last year and you look at uh you know dan bright um i was fortunate enough to take him last year and, and guide out there with him drive around with him you know he was the probably the perfect example of a client um his ex- expectations weren't through the roof i mean he he was you know he and he knew what to expect he'd been up there one year with us before but um you know he put the pressure on us i mean that's what we're there for we're you know we're going to kill the biggest deer that we can and uh you know he he passed a lot a lot of big big bucks that probably even on the strip most people probably wouldn't pass i still Um, think of that typical i still think of that typical that we were looking at and and oh my gosh I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. 200 inch typical that yeah. uh, you know has five inch eye guards is about as pretty as they come. And I and I tell him, hey, let's let's. Uh, I think we can do a little bit better. And you know, he, he passed. I don't know how many he passed. Probably six bucks that were over 200, six or eight. You know, and I kept telling him, let's. You know, and a guy like that or somebody that can put trust in in their guide and and do that. I mean, that's that's what we're there for. I mean, it's, you hire you hire us to. Yeah. Know, to do that you know put the pressure on us i mean we're that's what we're there for we spend the time we know what's going on um we know how the game works you know if it's your day it's your day and we're gonna and the, and the nice thing about the strip is from one minute to the next it can flip you know completely 180 degrees and you can be you know shooting at a 230 before you know it you know it just you got to be in the right spot at the right time yep and so. you you know it i 
yeah, I think going in with an attitude like what Dan had or what like you know Dar oh, yeah. and his son had, where it's just like we're here to enjoy the strip, we're here to have a good time, and you know Dan killed a buck. I think on the last day we we killed that buck, and um you know he had he could have shot other deer that were bigger, and but it's like you know that that was the that was the 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 hunt, and you know yeah. guy, it's funny guys like that. He'll probably draw again this year. He'll draw in two years and get to do it. You know, you say it's a once in a lifetime, but it seems like the guys that go for the right reasons, for whatever reason, they have better draw odds and they seem to draw those tags. And so I would encourage listeners, if if they're the high strung type that thinks, you know, that their whole life revolves around this tag and that they need to maybe do a little adjustment and, um, you know, maybe try and go for what I would think are the right reasons rather than just some number on a wall, um, you know, or, you know, a number in a book. Uh, and, you know, one other thing I would say is when did a 220 deer become not a big deer? Even a 200 inch buck, you know, <laughs> I know. And, and we're, we're spoiled up here. I mean, there's no doubt, but, um, but even a 200 inch deer is a great box. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's like if you were fishing in a river that, you know, 24 inch fish were common and you catch a 20 inch or you almost snub your nose at it. And it's easy over, <laughs> over time to, you know, you see so many good bucks or, or see so many good rams or see so many good bulls that all of a sudden, you know, something that's not in that, you know, upper 1% is, you know, a, a nose snubber. But the reality is that that Arizona Strip is just an incredible special place um, that, you know, has the biggest deer in the world year in and year out. Um, One question I would ask you guys is tell me a little bit about the heartbreak of, you know, it's public land and there's a lot of other people up there that, you know, have passion for the deer as well. And everybody's trying to get a big deer for their client. Everybody's trying to get a big deer for themselves. But talk a little bit about the heartbreak of bucks that, you know, you really wanted to kill. And it was somebody else's day. They were in the right place at the you know right time, or maybe they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, the deer runs across the road and they shoot it. I mean, uh, tell me about the heartbreak over the years of a few, you know, maybe not specific deer, but just, just how do you handle, you know, keep plugging away and keep moving on um, when, when you know, a handful of deer that you really wanted to put your hands on, you know, are going home to Ohio to, you know, in somebody else's camp? Yeah, and it, I mean, it's just part of it, you know, and, and like you say, there's a lot of other, uh, you know, other you know, guides or, or even, you know, do it yourself hunters or whatever. And, and for me, you know, especially if you put say four or five, six days into a buck and, and then you find out, you know, he was killed earlier on or something, you know, that's always kind of the hardest thing. But if you, if you know, you know, right away, it's, it's for me, we usually have so many bucks, um, a backup buck and a backup to a backup and so on. That for me, it is it is disappointing. You know, I'm usually happy for you know the other guide or or their client or a do-it-yourselfer. Um, I'm just not the type of person that that gets upset and bitter, you know. Um, and so for me, it's 
you know, you move on, you go, uh, you go to the next buck or to the next area and, and just, just keep, keep going. And so that's kind of my attitude. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes like you say, Jay, it's, it, it is hard, um, hard, you know, you see a buck get killed that you wanted to hunt or whatever, but then again, you just go on to the, on to the next. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just one of those things you just got to keep moving forward and don't dwell on stuff that didn't go your way because, I find the longer and the more that I do it, the more that things don't, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Sometimes it just falls perfect and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, if you dwell on the negatives and dwell on the fact that, you know, you put your heart into something and it didn't pan out, I mean, you're going to be, you're going to burn out quickly in my mind. Um, if you have that joy of the hunt and joy of what's around the next corner and, you know, it, it, it seems like longevity for people's hunting career can be a lot better if they go in just, well, let's go, you know, here's another buck we can go after. Let's go after him instead of just pouting for four days. And I know we've all been in those situations where we, we literally just want to go shut the tent or the camp trailer and just scream, holler and throw things. And sometimes you have to do that and then open the trailer door and walk out and go, okay, let's, let's go after another buck. Yeah. yeah yeah that's i mean and it's i don't know and maybe the strip uh you know maybe allows you to do that a little easier than other places there's a lot of big deer and you know it yeah. maybe not heartbroken and you know we're pretty passionate you know with with these you know we follow them around but there's always another one to go after and and it's i don't maybe it's a little bit easier for us than, than you know being on the strip and other places where you know there's maybe only one or two big deer and um, but we just don't, I guess we just don't get, I don't get caught up in that kind of stuff. You just kind of let it roll off your shoulder and you move on to the next deer and, you know, hard work always pays off in the end. And so that's where, you know, that's, that's what we do is we just grind it out. But yeah, I, I, I haven't really been heartbroken, I guess, per se of another deer that, that someone took home. I just makes me want to burn the passion up much harder, I guess, work harder to kill, kill the next big one that we're after. So for sure. Guys, let's talk specifically um, some nuts and bolts a little bit here. Uh, we're talking about 13A and 13B. Um, I would assume you guys would just assume uh, uh, the Arizona Strip be a part of Utah. So it could just, you know, I'm sure it kills <laughs> kills you to be well, Utah residents, but you, where you love, your biggest passion is actually in another state. You're like, dang, Arizona. You know, um, <laughs> let, let's talk well, the, about... Well, <laughs> Go ahead. I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say, if it was part of Utah, the the Utah DNR Game and Fish, whatever they're called, they would manage it so badly that uh, <laughs> there wouldn't be big deer. <laughs> okay, send hate mail to breckbundy.com. Yeah, um, send, um, send it my way. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. I think the Arizona Game and Fish does a phenomenal job and and keeping those tag yeah. numbers down and and. Um, Let's talk specifically 13A, 13B. Um, let's talk first. Um, let's just talk archery. Um, let's talk about the differences between 13A and 13B archery. Tell me, each one of you, which one is your favorite, whether it's A or B, and maybe um, how you think each unit for the archery hunt is going to be this coming year. Uh, I, you know, obviously right now, you know, I, and I, and I do all the 13A, you know, I run the cameras. Uh, I spend a lot of time on 13A. Um, 
but right now, I mean, obviously 13B is just that, that much further ahead. The fishing game are on the right track. They've lowered tag numbers and things like that on 13A. But, um, yeah, thir- 13B is, you know, would be my first choice, no doubt about it. The difference really is just the deer, the deer numbers right now. Um, the age class is just, just phenomenal on 13B right now. 13A is still trying to play catch up from 2010, 2011, and even a little bit in 2012. But, um a lot, lot more deer on B, a lot more country on B, really, to hunt, uh, especially archery. Um, you know, you'd be a lot more spot and stock on 13A. But, yeah, definitely 13B for me. And I, I like them both, Jay. Um, I, I love both units. Obviously, 13A, you know, we have uh, private property on 13A, and, and, and which makes it really nice. Um, you know, a lot of times we hunt out of there. Not always. Last year, um, we took uh, – um, a, a client on 13A on the archery hunt and, you know, started out hunting a long ways from our property. And so, you know, we ended up camping. And then, you know, when the, obviously we'll probably talk about it, but the weather, you know, the last several years, it's made the archery hunt tough. Um, you know, the, the heavy uh, thunderstorms and everything else, it makes sitting water, uh, takes it kind of out of the, out of the uh, equation, question, you know, and so yeah. it, and then you go to spot and stock. And, and that's what we did last year with Jason on 13A. Um, you know, we kind of had our game plan put together, and, and it didn't, didn't work out. The weather came in, and so we went exclusively to spot and stock. And, and uh, finally, you know, you know how it is, archery hunting. Um, you know, we'd known about the buck. We ended up killing for, you know, well, Bronson took video of him the year before and, and whatnot. But uh, um, we finally got on him, and, and after you know several attempts, obviously Jason was finally finally able to get it uh, get into position to get a good shot. But uh, and, but anyway, and I both, think that was the biggest deer killed on the archery hunt in 13A last year, wasn't it? Yeah, he, as, far as, we know, as yeah. far as we know, he may have even been the biggest buck taken off the unit, but or one of the top two it's, or three. Yeah, he definitely top two, I'd say, or three biggest deer killed on A last year with an ar- with you know with his bow archery. Yeah. And, then, and so, are you are you speaking biggest deer between the archery and the rifle, or just the biggest deer? Yeah, shot yeah. archery. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Between, so I think there's maybe one one deer killed that was bigger on the rifle hunt, and that's all. And that, that goes to show you the, the, the difference in the quality from 13B to 13A right now. Um, and like Bronson said, the game and fish, um, they're, they're taking the right steps to get 13A back to what it, what it should be. Yeah. Uh, you know, one qu- – well, first, uh, Jason, I actually went to school. I don't know if you guys knew, but I actually – Jason and I went to school together, so I was happy to see that he was hunting with you guys and really happy to see that he got a great buck. Um, and I, one question stems from, you talk about the weather and anybody that's looking at applying for 13A, 13B on the archery hunt, normally we're totally stoked about moisture and rain and what have you. But what you're saying is on that archery hunt on the strip, um, when it does rain and you get those gully washers, you get those big thunderstorms, they totally get off of the water and it becomes a game of spot and stock, which obviously with a bow in big country like that becomes a challenge. Are you saying that for you would rather have it be a relatively dry archery hunt and you think the success of sitting water and harvesting big deer goes way up if it's dry? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And, 
Um, and that's why, and I haven't looked, Bronson may know, but I think the success rate the past several years um, is probably down on the archery hunt just because we have had so much moisture during the hunt. Um, you know, and it makes it tough. Bronson had a tag in 2013. He drew a 13A archery tag, and that is one of the wettest archery hunts I've ever seen on the strip. I think it rained, what, 19 or 20 out of 21 days or something, which is just unheard of, you know. Um, but, yeah, hot and dry conditions um, are ideal. And specifically, let's talk, let's say, you know, you're, it's fairly hot and dry conditions, which it's always hot on the strip. So let's, you know, it's always hot. Even if it's raining, it's still a hot, you know, hostile environment. But, um uh let me ask you a question so it's dry the deer pattern they're coming into the waters you're getting lots of pictures and let's say a gully washer comes in pretty widespread and let's say you know an inch inch and a half of rain comes down running water how long does it take in general terms for that deer to show let's say it just rains one time and then it you know goes another week and doesn't rain how long does it take that deer to get back on his pattern of coming to that water source if you had to generalize? Well, it, it just depends, I guess. But, for instance, in 2012, um, Trace Porter uh, hunted with us, and the day before the hunt started, the archery hunt, it rained, I think, two-plus two inches, two-and-a-half inches. Um, and so our game plan stayed the same. Um, we had Trace set in a blind. We were glassing to see if we could turn up the buck. And in this particular case, it took six days of, of hot and dry, and the buck, our target buck, finally showed up to, to water. And, and he was, you know, able to, able to get an arrow in him and, and kill him. And so, so in that particular instance, it was six days, you know, that it took for that deer to come back to water. And so, but I would say, you know, certain deer – if you get a really big, heavy storm, they may be 10 days, Jay, or 12 days or something like that. So, they, I mean, it can really, if you know, that's where if it's hard because you have a deer pattern. It's thick countries. A lot of it's not glassable. And then all of a sudden, it rains right during the hunt or right before the hunt. You could throw your pattern off 6 to 10 to 12 days, if not more. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one of the positives is that archery hunt is, what are the dates? It's pretty long, isn't it? Like a three-week season? It's, yeah. yeah, it's 20, 21 days, I believe. Yeah, yeah. 20, 21 days, yeah. So um, one, one benefit is you get a lot of time, but the other thing is time, it can fly by on that hunt if it's raining, can it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the advantage to archery, I mean, you, you're your first batter up. You know, you, you, always, you always get a... To hunt the bigger deer before the rifle guys, so that's that's the advantage. Fewer um, fewer tags, fewer tags, less people. Um, yeah, I mean, and then going back to thirteen A, thirteen B. You know, thirteen A. If you're low, you're in the lower point pull. Um, you know, thirteen A. If if you want to, you know, you're gonna always have a chance of a giant on thirteen A or thirteen B. It doesn't matter. But you know, if you're you have a few more points and you're an archer and that's what you want to do, I mean, I, I would definitely, you know, stick with 13B. I, I mean, I don't want to play 13A off like it. There's nothing out there. But, um, you know, so if, if you're looking at you're wanting to hunt and you have lower points, 13A is your better, your better success rate, you know, for these lower point guys, your odds. Your odds. And so, 
anyways, but they're, they're both good units and they both, they both hold giant deer. I mean, 13A, I, I don't want to play, play it off too much because there, there are a couple bucks that we know about right now, a handful of bucks that are, that are going to probably be giants this year. So you mentioned, I believe 2010, 2011, 2012, was it 2010 the year that, um, t- there was a bunch of giant deer killed in 13A, and everything just hit right, and those um, bucks were chasing yeah. does. And wasn't there like 15 or 18 bucks over 220 or something killed in one yeah. year? And are you yeah. saying that the, that that top end got killed off, and it's really never recovered since then? It, yeah, I mean, there's been. Don't get me wrong. There's been some some big deer, but it seems like from that 2010 season. I think in the first three days, there were 10 plus 220 bucks killed, which is unbelievable. You know, I mean, the strip's an awesome place, but <laughs> in the first three days of a hunt to kill 10, 10 220 plus deer is, is pretty wild. But, uh, but yeah, it just seems like from 2010, you know, since then it just hasn't, uh, it hasn't, I don't know, we haven't seen the number of giant deer. Um, and so, there's still some big ones, like Bronson was saying. I mean, there's still a handful this year. We're looking forward to, to seeing what they do. Um, and so I think a lot of us do at the age class. You know, I just you kill that many big deer off, and, and people draw a 13A tag, and their expectations are, you know, to, to kill a big deer. But over the years, I mean, people are killing 190 bucks on 13A, you know. And, it, and don't get me wrong, 190 bucks still an awesome buck. But when you put it for the strip, I mean, that magical 200-plus is what, what we're always after, at least. And and I, I think that the expectations have almost maybe went down a little bit on 13A, and people are killing some of these younger bucks that are the, the up-and-comers, and that's why you're not – you're just not seeing the, the giants, you know, shine through, you know, like, like they, they have in the years past. Sure, absolutely. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Jay, it's even like – for us, last year on 13A, we took uh, two. Let's see, we took three uh, rifle hunters, and we killed uh, a 20. I think he was 201 or 202 buck, and then we killed a, a 199 or 200. Uh, I think he was right at 200, and and I was happy with with those bucks. And I told you know the guys that we booked, you know our clients, that hey, you know it's it's tough right now, and and so I, you know I personally. I was happy with the bucks we killed and, and so were they. I mean, they were, you know, they were ecstatic or happy with them and, and we had a good time. And, and so, um, and so but when, but, kind of different than 13A, 13B. Yeah. But when, but what you're saying though, is you kill a 199 or 200 and it's, it, it's not when it's next to his brother next door of 13, you know, brother, sister, or whatever you want to call it, the two units that are, you know, twins in essence, but they're not. They're really very different, but they're right next to each other. You don't even get an honorable mention if you kill a 199 and 13B. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah, exactly. pe- pe- people need to understand that right now, what you're saying is there is a difference between the two. Whereas in years yep. past, A and B, it was like a toss up. Which one do you want? And what you're saying now is, yes, you know, anything around that 200-inch mark in, in A right now is, is, a, is a great buck. And there's still a handful of great bucks, but it's not 13B. Um, I want to flip this question and go to the rifle hunt and say, okay, this year the rifle hunt, well, 
let's back up. Last year, 13B was after 13A. Normally, I believe 13A is the, the, the later hunt. This year, it actually goes back and 13A is the later hunt. 13B is the earlier hunt. The dates of the rifle hunt, do you think are, will they affect either hunt in any way, positive or negative, or do you think it'll be a non-issue? You know, after last year, I mean, we our expectations were through the through the roof with 13B. I mean, we thought that they were the rut was going to kick on. It was later. I mean, we and tell you on tell you, be honest with you, I was I was nervous because I I just thought that they were, uh, you know, everybody was going to go. I thought it was going to be another 2010 year on on 13B. You know, 2016 of a repeat of a 13A 2010. I mean, there there was a ton. Of, I mean, there's a ton of big deer on 13B. Um, and it just, it's all weather dependent. You know, I, I, it doesn't matter. I don't think it matters one way or the other to tell you honest, honest truth anymore. I mean, after last year, what happened? I mean, you were up here, I don't know, the first five, six days we were in t-shirts and sweating our guts out and, you know, it was, you know, it was pretty miserable hot. And so I, I just, I think the weather has a lot to do with it. Um, obviously 13A towards the end of the hunt. I don't know if we've ever really had a non rut 13A hunt really towards the end, but um, so anyways, I, I don't know if it really matters anymore, you know, in my mind, it, where, where I used to once think it, it did matter. I, I don't, after last year, I don't think it's going to hurt or help either one. So, yeah, Jay, you, you look at like the year, you know, Parker and I had the tag, it snowed what three days before the hunt snowed three or four or five inches, had that cold front come through yeah, and they were rutting like dogs. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so what you're saying is even this year with 13B going in front of the 13A hunt, if you had the right conditions, had some snowstorms, had snow on the ground, had cold weather, they could be rutting, rutting like dogs on the on the earlier dates. But like last year, the first five or six days, we were, you know, it was warm. We were in shirt sleeves, um, and they're just a little more lethargic, not as active. So what you're saying is more than anything, as long as you're in those November dates, if you get real cold, crisp, you know, snow on the ground, weather pattern, it's going to pan out whichever dates you have. It, exactly. Even even going back to, you know, 2008 when uh, Randy and Ron Charrington drew, um, same, same kind of thing happened that happened in, uh, you know, the year I had the tag. Uh, me and my dad were out the week, the week before the hunt started and, and, you know, had some snow flurries and, and the temperatures got really cold. And, you know, the hunt was uh, uh, the first week in November that year, I believe the 4th or 5th of November. And, and same thing. I mean, we saw a ton of rut activity back then and obviously, you know, killed uh, uh, Ron's buck the first day of the hunt and then Randy's two days later. And so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I assume my question about the rifle hunt, uh, you know, obviously with, with B being the best for archery, um, even though the dates are earlier on B, it's still um, hands down, you know, 13B st still stands above 13A on the rifle hunt as well, correct? Yeah, we're, we're still telling telling all of our, you know, we get a lot of phone calls. We're still telling everybody that have, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of points, 15 plus or, you know, even 12 plus just stick to 13b right now and, and 13b only right now i mean and it could change i mean obviously you give it another year or two and fishing game looks like they're doing the right thing in, in our opinion lower than some tags and things like that 
Um, 13A will eventually be back to where it's, hey, whatever you guys want to hunt and, and, you know, whatever you can draw. So, but yeah, right now it's still stick with your 13B and especially your higher points guys, you know? Yeah, for Even sure. Even with it, you know, we earlier. Tell me about uh, Samantha Davis's buck. Um, it was nice to meet her and, and her father-in-law um, and, and her husband up there in your camp last year. And man, that buck she shot was like, what, 230, 230 or 235 or something, 234. Um, just an incredible buck. I remember seeing the video that um, Kelly, her father-in-law, uh showed me the footage i believe uh, joe i'm not sure if joe took it or if the father-in-law took it or they were sitting together one of your guides and man when that buck stepped around that tree i about just died like that was a giant yeah he lit the way his g2s kind of flared out too i love it how it was like real flat looking if that makes sense when you look at it um i love that buck tell me a little bit about that buck um, it, you know, it was a buck we knew about. Um, we'd actually seen him. It was pretty early in, in August. August. One of one of our guides. We were just uh, out scouting and and running a spotlight, you know. And and uh, Joe, uh, who actually guided Samantha, actually spotlighted uh, her buck. And so, as far as trail camera pictures, we did have a a picture or two of him um, in the velvet. Um, didn't have any of him hardhorned, I don't believe, Bronson, but. Um, and so it was kind of, it was kind of neat that, you know, Joe, Terry, he spotlighted him, saw him and, and, uh, and then was guiding Samantha and, and they turned him up, you know, Kelly actually glassed him up. And so it was, it was pretty neat. I know, uh, Andy Stevens, one of our guys and, and Cody Barber were right there with Kelly and, and filming the whole thing, you know, and I know, uh, when Joe and Samantha and Colby, her husband went in on the stock, you know, they did an awesome job, got within 200 yards and, and Samantha made two great shots, and so, but it was just a neat old buck. I mean, heavy, you know, just a strip deer. When I rolled into camp and I saw that buck, I was like, that is a strip deer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what did that thing score? I think he was 236 and 2, 236 and 2, something like that. Something, yeah, just, yeah. just an awesome, awesome Yeah, he had, had several extras and a um, lot of mass, just... um really good photos um with that girl beautiful girl blonde blonde headed girl um i'm sure people have seen the pictures um that was just a neat buck to be able to you know i i was able to put that thing in my hand it's like golly that that's i mean i don't even know what i'd do if i had that thing in the crosshairs i'd probably shoot it right in the horn samantha's buck is is almost like Parker's deer. Yeah. Just that that massive, wide, some extras, you know, just that type oh, of deer. Yeah, you know, the wow factor yeah. down for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those you don't even care what the buck scores. You just want to get it on the ground because you just want to run up and grab it and you know fondle the antlers because it's just so cool. Um, that was a really neat deer. You know, guys, I want to bring up, um, we've talked about it before on the podcast, uh, you, you know, two years ago when Parker had the tag, you know, you were sending Darn and I trail camera photos and, you know, Darn and I are like Beavis and Butthead looking at trail camera photos going, ha, 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 that one's, that one's not bigger, yeah, that one's smaller than that one, uh, yeah, look at that one, that one's a dink, you know, and um, you're like, guys, what about this buck? And you sent us a picture of this typical buck 
with a bunch of trash around his eye guards and darn iron. Eh, well, he, yeah. Do you think he's 200? And you guys were just like, you guys are idiots. Like, <laughs> like you need to just stay down in the desert. Just, just stay down there. You don't have any business being up here. And you're like, I really think we need to hunt this deer. And I think Darn are like really, you know, totally, you know, guiding the guide, which is, you know, something that, uh, you know, <laughs> you should never do. And we didn't even end up going after that deer. And I think they somebody killed him. He was like 225 or 230. My point that I'm trying to make is one thing that I'm learning. I'm still hard-headed as can be. Is those deer have <laughs> giant bodies, and sometimes those trail camera pictures. Because their bodies are so big, they don't look as big to me on camera. I'm wondering if you can speak about the body size of those deer up there compared to, you know, even Colorado deer that that Dar and I are, you know, used to hunting. Uh, they just have horse bodies. They they do giant bodies, giant heads, big ears, and it does it throws a lot of people off. Um, you know, me and Bronson even argue sometimes. We get a trail camera picture of a buck, and I'm like, dude, this thing's giant. And he's like, oh, it's it's okay. I don't know why that trips you so, that buck trips you. And then if he gets it in the glass or I get it in the glass, we're like, oh, my gosh, that deer's even bigger than we thought looking at a at a trail camera picture of him. Um, and so, you know, even Skip Rims' deer, um, we knew he was big. You know, we followed him for, what, five years, I think, Bronson? Four or five, we had pictures and video and and everything and and i actually saw him in the glass i think the week before the hunt started and i'm i'm telling bronson and brett and bracken and everybody i'm like this deer's 220 and and you know they were arguing with me they're like thinking you're smoking crack yeah they're like come on (laughs) yeah exactly until brett like i think the day before the hunt started brett got him in the glass and he's like no you're right he's 220 and then, you know, we kill him, he's almost 230. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean. Isn't that a function of, you know, just big bodies and sometimes it can shrink those racks. And especially, don't you guys think trail cameras, um, I think trail cameras in general mostly shrink stuff. I mean, I think most of the time things end up bigger than what they look like on trail cameras in general most of the time. Yeah, I mean, trail cameras definitely, I mean, they're, they they're so deceiving i mean unless you get the perfect angle the perfect shot trail camera video that gives them every single angle they they really are hard to to judge judge off just a trail camera picture you know i mean yeah you you can i I don't know we've been doing it you know for so long that i feel like you know i i get a picture of a deer and and just right off the top of my head jay i'm like okay that's a 210 or 220 type deer and, and a lot of times, like, we're talking, and then if you do kill them and you walk up on them, even the, the hunter, you know, you've been sending them pictures, and you get up to the deer, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, he's way bigger than what the, the trail camera picture made him, you know, how it made him look. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, the trail cameras are deceiving, no question about it. And, you know, we look through thousands of pictures every week, it seems like, uh, between me and Bronson and all of our guides. and. And so, you know, we've got a pretty good feel for how big a deer is just because we've been looking. But it's a complete opposite. You come to Utah and you look at, you know, we we hunt a little bit in Utah and you look at pictures 
and there's always ground shrinkage, it seems like, and, and go, this is going back to the body size. And I, and I truly think that it's because of their bodies out there. They're just, that's why you, you I mean, we, I've never honestly been on a strip and, and walked up to a deer and had ground shrinkage. It's always been bigger than I always, you know, than I had anticipated, you know? And so I really think that that place of their body size and their head, I mean, their heads are ginormous out there compared to anywhere else we've ever hunted or anything I've killed. So. And he, even even Jason Jensen's archery buck this last year on on thirteen eight. I mean, we're looking at him through the glass even, and you know, and we always try to be low. I mean, on our numbers, when we walked up on that deer, me and Jason, I was just like, and I, even Jason, he was just like ecstatic. I mean, he was so pumped, and you know, because he he stuck it out. I mean, it was it was tough last year on thirteen A. I'm sure it was on B. We only took Jason on the archery hunt last year, but. But anyway, yeah, just the body size, it's just, and, and heads and everything, it makes them look, makes the rack look smaller for sure. Yeah, and, and uh, for sure, and so Bronson, you're talking about hunting those um, deer up in Utah, and so what you're saying is you're taking your Arizona strip mentality, and, and you're you're looking at deer in Utah, and you're actually finding deer that are, that are shrinking because they don't have the body size of the Arizona strip deer. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yeah, just the body size and, and, and the mass. I mean, plays a lot of it with, you know, Utah Bucks. But, yeah, it's just – it's it's completely opposite when you come to Utah. And, I, I mean, we've we've killed some – you know, we've killed some giant, giant deer in Utah, you know. Brett. You know, Brett, he's he's been hunting. He's killed a lot of big bucks. You know, we've killed some – you know, I've killed a couple 195-inch typicals the last couple of years. And it's just – it is. It's completely – completely opposite in utah body size and the, and the mass it just i don't know it's just but where, where we're used to it, it it's kind of it's i guess we're just, it's just natural for us or normal for us but for a lot of guys it, it does pull them for sure for sure um guys i want to ask you a question before i do i want to thank the sponsors of this podcast uh, gohunt.com insider lorenzo sartini and his crew uh, do a great job over at GoHunt.com, and you can actually use the J. Scott promo code uh, when you sign up for the Insider, and you're going to get a $50 uh, Kuyu gift card. They're going to send it to you. Uh, they do a great job with all of the draw odds and harvest statistics and Insider strategies on each state and, and uh, where to apply and how to apply. Uh, they also do a lot of gear giveaways and hunt giveaways and um, encourage you guys out there, if you haven't checked out GoHunt.com and GoHunt.com Insider, do so. Also, Kuyu.com, uh, PhoneScope.com, Cheston Davis and his crew, uh, and the Outdoorsmans there in Phoenix. Those are the four sponsors of this podcast. And if you check down in the show notes uh, of this podcast, you can see each of the discounts that if you use the J. Scott promo code, uh, you're going to get with these companies. And I, I thank them for their support of this podcast. Uh, guys, one of the questions I have for you is um, there's been a lot of talk about trail cameras and there's, you know, saying the Game of Fish is going to do something about it, whether they do or they don't. Um, in your mind, uh, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but do you believe that there is any sort of compromise or is there any sort of solution that might be able to work, you know, get sportsmen together instead of having a government agency dictate what, what becomes of trail cameras? Is there any way in your mind to 
eliminate some of the problems from the people that don't like the trail cameras and have a compromise between you know the people that don't want them and the people that do is there anything that you guys see as a reasonable solution to uh what's going on this is a yeah this is i mean we we discuss this among all all of us quite frequent i it's like a necessary evil for us you know running them we we love to run and we love to get pictures um but it, it takes away from time of glassing and chasing them and filming them. But I, something that, that would, that would make us, I don't know, uh, maybe season dates. Um, the thing that's on the table right now, I, I have a hard time with it. I mean, if you're, you you know, you're going to, I think they're going to create a bigger problem with, with the, the changes that they've got, you know, right now, or at least they're talking about, which are uh, which quarter is what mile a, from the water. Quarter or I think it's a quarter yard. mile from any single point water source is how they've got it right now. Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, Jay, it's always been a, a love-hate relationship for me. Uh, we use them, uh, you know, I mean, they're legal. They're awesome to get pictures. I mean, to, to get pictures of big deer or any deer, I mean, mountain lions, bobcats, whatever. I mean, it, it's cool, and it does. It gives us MDA the ability, just like it does some of these other outfitters, to, to scout the entire unit uh, or both units, you know. And so <clears throat> me personally, if if they did an all-outright ban, I wouldn't be upset about it. I don't think that'll ever happen. Um, but for me, you know, we're out all the time. We're glassing. We're filming. That's my true – I love filming and, and taking photographs. To me, that's like hunting, you know, without a rifle or a bow. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, with trail cameras the past few years, I mean, we've been running so many. It's, you know, I mean, we always glass in the mornings, evenings, but then it's okay. We got to go. We got our, you know, we got our camera loop we got to make um, and this and that. And so, I don't know. I, you know, me and Bronson have talked season dates. And I, you know, I've talked to some others. Uh, me and Brian Rims actually talked about it here last week, a couple of weeks ago. Um and so what Bronson was saying, you know, a quarter mile from the water, instead of having, you know, us with the camera and some of these other outfitters or whatever, you know, right on the water, instead of that, you're going to have eight or ten. And, oh, oh, yeah. And, and I mean, course, I, think, every I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious with, with the way what they're talking about having a distance, whether it be 100 yards or a quarter mile or whatever it is. You, yep. you're just you're just gonna force people to say you know what okay that's legal okay i'll run 10 instead of running one on the water i'll i'll put 20 it i'll wrap i'll circle this thing so that you know yeah and it will happen yeah and, it, it and will happen so i think no doubt about i think one thing possibly is like do you know like a August 1st, everything has to be pulled. Anything that's found is confiscated, you know, auctioned off. The money goes to the game of fish. And then have after the archery hunt, they can go back up and then have maybe like a, what, you know, maybe a November 1st or something. And, you know, Uh, and then when the hunt gets over, boom, you can run them again. And then maybe it will alleviate some of the problems of, you know, 15 cameras on one trick tank. And what, what ends up happening if, if I look at it from an outside, you know, just a third-party perspective, what I see happening is what you end up doing is you end up ruining that spot for the hunt, 
meaning when you when there's 15 cameras on a trick tank and there's 15 guys that are checking it every day or twice a day or every other day you end up getting so much traffic in there you force that deer you force those deer to become nocturnal or they change and leave the 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 water so another potential thing is what would how would it be if if all the outfitters got together and said hey we're going to run one or two cameras on that water and we're all going to share in the expense. I know you get that many people involved. It's probably going to be a nightmare, but maybe the game and fish, uh, you know, runs the cameras and the guides say we will, uh, you know, change the batteries and everybody works together and then have it where everybody has the same, uh, you know, photos and knowledge. I think that could turn into a disaster. I think having some sort of dates, they have to be pulled by such date, then you can put them back up. I think that's a reasonable solution. I, I think that's the only solution that, that we can see. Either, it, either you're going to ban them outright or, Which, or, or you're going to put a season date on them. I, I just, they're, uh, they're going to create a bigger, a bigger problem with, the, with what they have on the books right now or what they're talking about. And, right and they're going to have a hard time enforcing it. You know, yeah. I mean, who's going to? Who's yeah. going to go out there? Oh, here's a quarter mile yeah, or whatever. You know, yeah. whatever I mean, oh, this one's 330. You know, I don't know. I, yeah, then we're going to start having to carry our range finders around to yeah. shoot the, the water. I mean, it's it's just almost, it's it's and, crazy. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys know, and you've seen enough, you've been up there enough. I mean, you see the problems. I've seen the problems. I know there is problems. Um, I do think it's kind of unfortunate for the guy that's, you know, say hunting a coos deer in central arizona that's on some you know seep that literally no one else is around and he's got you know year-round pictures and he's the only one hunting there he's not bothering anyone i i find that hard to believe that he's going to get penalized and not be able to run his camera because he's running it in some obscure place that you know nobody's ever been around he doesn't even have anybody else whereas you know you've You've seen some of those cameras on the strip. There could be 15 or 20 on one fence post or, you know, around a water. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some facts, I guess, for the Arizona Strip. Just, cause, just because we've seen a lot of stuff on social media and people talking to us about certain things. But, yeah, I mean, show me a picture of more than 10, 12 cameras on a water. Typically, 99% of the waters you go to have three, maybe four cameras. Um, 95% of the year, and, you know, and they're do-it-yourselfers that show up and put cameras up. Um, and these guides aren't, you know, I don't think there's any one of us that are running 10,000 trail cameras like I've seen a lot of people say. <laughs> okay, that's a lot okay. I mean, that's good information to get, you know, you're but just saying. Facts, you yeah. know, I mean, I mean, you see a lot of things. I mean, yeah, typically you're going to see three or four cameras. Um, and, you, you know, they're, they are running a lot of cameras, but they're not running – Five, ten thousand cameras, or even a thousand cameras, for that matter. I mean, there, yeah. I don't know if anybody's even running a thousand cameras out there right now. Yeah, yeah. But, so. but, but I'm, I'm kind of like you, Jay. I, I hate to see the government step in and yeah. any sort of regulation, per se. And I, I don't know. I, like I say, I, I'm with a lot of guys that just, you know, guys that don't think it's fair. I guess I can say, yeah, we're getting pictures of these deer, um, which is awesome. But when the hunt rolls around to actually to actually kill one, what in my opinion, what it's doing or what it has done over the past several years 
is it's actually saved younger age age class bucks because you know with the data that you're hunting a bigger deer if that makes sense so i think yeah. it's actually saved younger deer and and then you know obviously they get a little more age on them and then you start looking at them um so what you're saying is, like, guys know that, hey, this buck with a couple cheaters that's like, a, you know, a nice 205, like, he's a really nice buck, but there's two other bucks that are mature, big, you know, they're 220 bucks that are, you know, eight years old, like, they're going to say, hey, don't shoot that two, you know, 195 to 205 buck that's a grower, because exactly. we know that there's these two deer are right here, let's wait, and boom, they shoot the mature deer, and so you're saying that you've actually seen trail cameras where they actually work for the benefit of more mature animals being harvested. Exactly. Because exactly. people know about them. If they, if they didn't know about them, they would think that 195, 200-inch buck, shoot it, it's a great buck, but it's like, no, it's actually the fifth, you know, there's five other deer on this water that are bigger. Exactly, and and Jay, I was going to say, trail cameras. I mean, the, and a lot of the other talk is that these trail cameras are killing all these deer off. The success rate—that's where I was going. The success rate on the Arizona Strip, I believe, over the years before trail cameras, uh, in the last two or three years, when there's been more, has been pretty steady at seventy-five percent, seventy percent, somewhere in there. So. So the trail cameras aren't killing off deer, and even like we just said, uh, yeah, you're gonna not you're gonna pass on a 200 inch deer because you know there's two or three bigger deer. Where without trail cameras, you know you're gonna be like, hey, that's a good buck, you know, or even guys doing it themselves or whatever, you know, they're gonna shoot that buck over over a bigger, more mature deer. So that's just you can tell we're dancing around a little bit. We, don't, <laughs> we honestly don't know. We don't know the right right answer I mean, well i don't think that anybody i don't think there i don't think there is a right answer i think there's probably yeah. a compromise that will work that it that yeah. it doesn't you know that it helps everybody and 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 that there you know there can be some sort of middle ground i don't think there is right or wrong because there's a different situation in every unit every hunt like every you know there's there's a lot of variables at play but i hate to just see a I, I just personally I hate to see an all in all ban. I think they're yeah. I don't I don't use trail cameras, but if I guided on the Arizona Strip or hunted the Arizona Strip, I would use trail cameras. Like you know, so it's it's one of those things for someone like me to say, oh yeah, ban them. Well, it's easy for me because I don't use them. But if I lived where you guys yeah. did, I would use them. Like so, um, you know I. I I, I don't know. I go back and forth. Part of me says, you know, make it a level level playing field and just ban them across the board. And then I think, man, there's so many people that get so much joy um, out of watching their trail cameras, monitoring. And what are they really hurting? They're not. They're really not hurting. The only thing that I can see where it, where it might be hurting is when you have a bunch of cameras on one water you get guys that are kind of fighting over that spot, and it causes a lot of nonsense. But that, I mean, they're, it's not like they're killing more deer because no. of it. They're killing different deer. And, and quite honestly, knowing the inventory, I, I, I can kind of see your point of some of the, you know, it's, it's, I think they're killing more. I think you guys are killing more mature deer because you know they're out there because you've seen the pictures. So I don't, exactly. I don't think any more deer have been killed, but I think the quality of deer 
definitely has gone up over the say the last 10 years just because of a, a inventory factor alone yeah absolutely and and another thing i was going to mention too jake i'll go out and i'll spend two or three days you know doing my camera loops checking my cameras whatever and just so people know rarely on the strip do i run into even another guide or outfitter which i know a lot of your listeners might think that's crazy but i rarely probably same with bronson it does yeah i'll run into somebody you know on a water occasionally but but i rarely rarely yeah. see anybody i mean people aren't going in and in and out constantly all day long every day checking their trail cameras i mean most of well i'm, I'm 95 percent positive most of these guys are check, checking their camera once a week but once the hunt starts would you not agree that right before the hunt and during the hunt that those areas get a lot more they get hammered oh yeah people yeah, that, yeah there's no yeah. question there's no question about that on the hunt. Yeah. yeah so I'm not yeah i think that's where a possible compromise of a of a date you know pull them and then put them back yeah, and, then yeah. Pull and, them that, and that's yeah that, and that's exactly that's what we've talked about it's about the only solution that that really even honestly makes sense at least in my mind i yeah. mean it's you know I, if I they're think, playing field it you know i don't know if that's a real real case either because we're going to spend more time than anybody else out there you know what i mean it's so play play you know fair playing so that's kind of tough too but anyway so yeah i mean you guys live right there so you know someone could say well you know you have to the the bundies have to move at least 200 miles away because they live too close (laughs) and they spend too much time i was going to say the reason that maybe you've never hardly ever seen anybody scouting out there is because you're going so fast that you can't even see when the (laughs) when the razor when the razor is it's a four-wheel razor and it's only on two wheels most of the time that's usually (laughs) usually you can't see much when you're going that fast Hey Jay, I know that you stomped on that pedal a few times this last year. I know you got to take mine for a couple of days. I know you were enjoying that. Boy, I can tell you, um, I had never driven a razor until I drove yours last year. And one of the things that blew me away compared to the Ranger that I've always had is it's not that I went super fast, it's the fact that I went the same speed on any terrain, meaning. On, you know, the county roads, I was going the same speed and I would just pull off and, you know, be going on a two tracker and I'd be going the same speed. Like it was never slow or fast. It was the same always. It didn't matter the terrain that the smoothness of the vehicle blew my mind as to, you know, some goat trail that I was going up. I was going 25 miles an hour. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's amazing in those razors. And I've been looking at those generals. I've been looking at some things, you know, maybe before next season because of driving your Razor. The only thing I don't like is the fact that it doesn't have very much cargo space, but the smoothness. I was blown away at how just smooth they are to drive over uneven terrain. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're probably the, the best tool that we, that we have that we, that we use that yeah. we put to use. I mean, they're, they just allow us to, to do a lot more, a lot quicker. And we're just efficiency goes way up with them. For I sure. mean, you, you look at mine, Jay, I've got a 2015, I've got over 8,000 miles on it, 9,000 miles, like something like that. Yeah. I and know. It, all, all miles. <laughs> but I mean, when you're making your loops and, and, you know, you have vast distances to cover, 
you know, if you can drive 50, 60 miles an hour on a, on a county road or in Bronson's case, maybe 70 miles an hour. I don't even want to know how fast Bronson drives, but um, you can make, you can cover a lot more country when you're going those speeds. But it's funny when you're going fast in a razor, you don't even really feel like you're going that fast because of how smooth it is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I mean, if I have if I have the ears pinned back on the ra- on the Ranger and I'm going as you know, like let's say I could let's say I could get it up to 50 miles an hour, which I'm sure you could because the speedometer says it. You would feel <laughs> like you would feel like you're not even touching the ground. You're just rattling and bouncing around. Whereas the Razor, you feel in total control, and that that was one thing I really liked. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're they're amazing. That long travel suspension, and I mean. I was kind of the same. I had a Can-Am Commander uh, side-by-side, and then Bronson got his Razor, and I, I went, I remember the first day he had it out on the strip, we went on a big, uh, we actually went and glassed uh, in the morning and then went on a big loop, but I was like, oh, my gosh, this thing is amazing. So I ended up getting one not long after, traded the can or sold the Can-Am and, and got that Razor. But. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, it's been awesome having you on. I want to give you guys a chance to let the listeners know uh, where they can follow you guys, uh, where they can see all the bucks we've been talking about, and how they can get a hold of you um, before the draw. Our draw deadline here is uh, June 13th, and I believe we'll probably know by, say, July, third week in July, maybe, um, the results. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, let 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 the listeners know how they can uh, reach you, how they can contact you, and how they can follow along what you're doing. Yeah, um, we our website's muledeeraddiction.com. Um, we're on Instagram at MDA Outfitters, so you can follow us there. Um, get a hold of us through Instagram or through our website, or email us at mdaoutfitters at gmail.com. Um, and you, you can call... This is me, Breck. You can call me at uh, 435-632-3541 and Bronson at 435-668-7151. And just to be clear, that's M as in Mary, D as in deer, or we should say M as in mule, uh, D as in yeah. deer, addiction, M-D-A uh, Outfitters on Instagram, correct? Correct, yep. Okay, awesome. Well, guys, um, uh, hopefully... I don't know. I, I'm going to put in for 13B and see what happens. I've got, uh, I don't know, I think i got 17 or 18 points. I'll have to look. Um, someday. Someday it's going to happen. Uh, but until I see you guys, uh, God bless, and uh, thanks for coming on and sharing with us, and congratulations on all the success you've had over the years. And, uh, you know, it's so fun to go up there and hang out with you guys. You're so passionate about what you do and you're such great guys and, um, you know, love how you treat everybody around you and love the vibe that you guys got going. So I just commend you on that. And, um, uh, yeah, have fun this summer, uh, and, uh, can't wait to see the success you guys have. So, uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate it, Jay. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Jay. We appreciate it, and it's uh, always a pleasure talking with you. All right, guys. Take care, okay? Okay, right. will do. You too. All right, bye. See ya.